Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is The Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Great. John, how are you? Doing well, and you, sir? Doing well. Doing well. Excellent. Thanks for, for being here. Uh, our guest today is John Dugas, currently a principal consultant at LionCube. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also uh, Previously, an engineering manager and senior engineer, engineering manager at a number of brand name companies like Experian, T-Mobile, Amazon, uh, Walgreens. Did I miss yep. anything there? Those are the big ones. Yeah, great. Uh, so so excited to to have you here. And um, I know we've chatted a little bit, and I think your approach to interviewing and and um, how you've looked at interviewing, how that's changed over the years, I think is really interesting and insightful for folks. So so glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Glad to share what I can. Um, you know, as you know, through the the, the chatty Kathy conversations we had leading up to this, uh, chatty Kathy being me, folks, um, <laughs> that you know, there's some some things about the hiring process I'm very passionate about. So yeah, great. Um, well, can you share a little bit about your your current role? And and if people have watched um previous episode, we spoke with Chris Love um of Line Cube yeah as well. Um, so I know you work in the same organization, so maybe some crossover, but your role's um certainly a little different. Um, so can you just share a little bit about the company and kind of your current role? Yeah, yeah. So um, I work for Chris Love um as a uh, principal architect, uh, principal engineer, principal fill in the blank. Uh, it's a small company. So uh, we tend to wear a lot of lot of different hats. Um, the my role within the company is uh, typically to be the lead architect or um, tech lead on consultants uh, for for clients. So um, we've done some work. Uh, oh goodness, I was about ready to name drop, and I'm not supposed to name the drop that name. <laughs> um, but uh, we work with companies that are in that small to medium cap. Uh, up to Fortune 100 companies, yeah. um, and my role is typically as a lead architect, as the principal engineer for one of those contracts. And LionCube, we do things a little bit differently. Now we want to make sure that there's a strong team fit, not just oh great, you're a hot body, boom, sh- put them in front of the customer. Results vary, right? Yeah. Um, so what we do is we try to build teams where we have. Uh, a diversity of perspectives, diversity of skill sets, um, even diversity of skill levels, um, so that we can really take advantage of something that I like to call um, the power of the the power of what you don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. what you don't know leads can lead you to being curious. Number one, and number two, it can lead you to insights or approaches that the experts wouldn't wouldn't consider, sure. right? Um, and so because of my success in building teams in private industry and now uh, in consulting, uh, I'm also one of the principal uh, interview interviewers mm-hmm. or, or uh, talent reviewers. Yeah. Great. Can you share a little bit about your pathway into technology? I, you know, um, <laughs> LionCube since have, seems like a, a like really a specialty, right? And kind of what you do, yes. but I'm sure you've done a whole slew of things over the years, right? Uh, so uh, as you can tell, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white hair. Uh, we're dying breed in industry. Um, I actually have two degrees in um, economics, which, you know, that 375 might get me a cup of coffee at, at Starbucks. <laughs> um, and my first entry into industry uh, was actually managing healthcare clinics. Mm-hmm. And uh that industry was going through some turmoil. I'd worked myself out of a job, out of two, managing two or three different clinics. Um, some friends of mine in uh, Georgia said, hey, John, have you heard about this thing called HTML? What? Um, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to FedEx a book to you overnight, which at the time was crazy expensive. <laughs> Read the book over the weekend, uh, and then we'll do a quick quiz on Monday. And if you pass the quiz, you'll have a job on Tuesday. Okay. Um, and that was during the the uh, late '90s, early 2000s dot com dot boom, mm. and um, there was no way for schools to keep up with demand. Yeah. 
So having earned a master's degree in uh, economics and having to write statistical modeling, I already knew a lot of the fundamentals of programming um, that were self-taught. Um, and so I literally started writing the very first uh, order pipeline for what was then called uh, Quest Wireless, or sorry, US West Wireless. So, and then US West Wireless bought out, bought out, bought out. And I have no, I think they're, actually, I think they're now part of T-Mobile. Um, so, um, and because it was such an innovative period, and because I, I frankly walked into a lot of situations where I had no clue what I was doing, um, I had to stay curious. I had to read books. Mm. Um, guys would come in and they'd be like, man, you're really smart, but um, have you heard of the Gang of Four? what's that oh it's gamma at l with the design patterns you should read this book john okay and so i'd like an idiot read the book over the weekend and then have more more knowledge yeah. um that led to doing c c plus plus programming uh aggregating switch data for uh, uh us west wireless mm -hmm. um i left there to go and write uh, programs for a startup called vericept and uh, what we did was we wrote uh, a package that would sit in a piece of hardware on a network and it would observe traffic that was going left and right. And then basically say, um, is somebody using the uh, work office space stuff appropriately or not? <laughs> um, which lent itself to some interesting stories. Uh, we, we were responsible for breaking up a number of, uh, unfortunately, child porn uh, oh, rings. Geez. Yeah, that, that was sort of the darker, oh, that was the darkest, those were dark days when that, when that happened, um, to uh, a massive multinational Visa MasterCard uh, theft ring, um, where they actually had somebody in the data center who was interrupting the flow of data, and we actually <laughs> found it, found that, which was really cool. Um, and then that lent itself to working for Amazon, um, seven years of just amazing work, focusing primarily on, I started an order pipeline and your account stuff, build tools, then uh, became a program manager for Walgreens, um, spent a year at US, or excuse me, at uh, T-Mobile, um, uh, helping build a, a program around uh, program management and trying to get a little more technical, a little more business oriented. Mm -hmm. And then after that, um, really entered the world of consulting. So, yeah. So this was your first um, kind of entry into consulting, joining LionCube. You know, I, I'd done some um, support work uh, in my very first gig doing HTML, uh, CGI. Uh, sorry, uh, CGI. That's a common gateway interface. Uh, for those of you who aren't into, uh, it's not blue screen stuff, right? Sure. It was the old uh, text base. Uh, Here's here's how you get a dynamic HTML page back, um, and then uh, applets and servlets, and yeah. so that was all consulting. Um, and and there's a natural pattern to careers. You either you get to a point where you either um, and I, I use the phrase age out, um, which is probably terribly inappropriate, but developers either go into management, mm. they either go into consulting or they've hit, they've got all these excellent bets, right? With startups or, or well-funded companies and they kind of retire early and then go take a second career. Mm -hmm. um, so I can introduce you to a number of microbrewers, micro distillers, uh, bed and breakfast owners that had their start in industry and got to that point where it's sort of like, you know, I don't think I want to do this anymore. What am I going to do? And I don't want to manage people. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, it's funny, Um, you talk about, getting in kind of the the dot-com boom when i was in recruiting and we used to have this question that we would ask people after interviews we and you know we, we would kind of debrief with them and ask them um do you think you can do the job and i always thought that was kind of a funny question right like why are we asked like if they can if they pass the interview who cares <laughs> like let's let's keep moving them through right oh um, my gosh and my boss said oh we added that question during the dot-com boom because we would have people who would go to interviews and they would you know, kind of flying their way through, but these companies who were desperate for bodies would say, okay, we'll make them an offer, right? They go join them for three days and they go, oh, this person actually doesn't know how to code. <laughs> and then, so we started asking people, do you actually think you could do the job? And he's it, like, it, it shocked me how many people go, I don't know, but I'll, 
I'll probably learn. And he goes, and some people were honest and go, ah, probably not. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, uh, uh, there's a book called, um, oh my gosh, now I'm totally spacing on it. Um, the, and it's one of my like three mission critical books. Um, but in, in the footnote of it, it, it had the uh, president Smith from us steel. And he said, um, what made you such a great CEO? And I loved his quote. It was, I was never qualified for it, but I never wanted to stop being qualified for it. Mm. Um, and I love that mindset. So if you were to ask me that question, I'd be like, yeah, I, I, I think I can. And uh, you put me in there and I, I will do, I will do everything I can to be successful. Um, so, but yes, yeah. I remember those days. I, I remember, um, having to do things like double somebody's money that they were making with, with they were making with another company to get them to come on board and say, and you have 30 days. And at the end of 30 days, making a difficult decision about whether or not they stayed. And um, interviewing really became uh, a lynch key for, can you spot good talent? Can you know the talent that is so amazingly lying their face off to you? right? Um, and I would love to tell you that it's easy. Um, I have made regrettable hiring decisions more than once. Um, I mean, even within the last, yeah, even within the last calendar year, right? Um, but it, but it, I love the fact that you guys asked that question. So many companies didn't. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think the the position we were in was we didn't want to burn any client, right? We didn't want to present right. someone who wasn't actually like basically if they fell off, right? It would be look bad on us. And we didn't really have any ways we could check in on them, right? Once someone started at a company, they're kind of out of the recruiter's hands, right? You're not you're not yeah. really checking in with them. You're not really their manager, right? You can't really do much. So you kinda of gotta to try to get ahead of it. But you right. know, it was it was good and bad. Uh, I think it it's worked out most well, of the and, time and that's one of the things that i like about what i'm doing now is i do get to stay involved in interviewing and then i would say about 70 percent of the time i'm hiring for the team that i'm going to be working with mm, and i'm not going to be managing that person but i'm going to be interacting with the quality of their work every day yeah um and then the other 30 percent are in a similar situation within lion cube where we know whether or not they're doing a good job or not um, and what I really love about Lion Cube is that there have been times where we've been able to say, wow, this is not working out so well. Um, let's make it, let's make a swap swap. And our opportunities have been big enough that we can pull somebody out of working for client A, put them into client B, and then all of a sudden they're a superstar. You know? Yeah. That's that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's I think it's, it's, it's really it's, interesting to do consulting with more of a uh like individual minded approach right like actually like they're not just numbers on a page or bodies right or head count it's hey we actually this you have to make sure that this person fits with this client right it sounds like that's a big piece of what you're doing in these interviews or at least um that's a, a big factor for you it, it's a huge factor um and look it, it, it's there there have been changes in industry um so uh there's a big company uh, based out of seattle that is in the marketplace I it's rumored. I don't know if it's confirmed yet, but they're not going to be hiring any consultants until uh, maybe the end of April. So uh, everybody's sort of cinching their belt. You know, uh, the size of the market is dropping and people are focusing on what do we pay for an hour? Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that, that we have to do is say, well, you know what, there's a certain dollar point where we're not going to bring that talent to you because there's no way that dollar point is going to give you talent that's reliable uh good right or not disappear and if they and if they are reliable and good then they're not going to disappear um when they get 50 cents more an hour yeah right and and that's a real the next the next six months in the market that i'm in is gonna be very very interesting yeah yeah well it's, it's kind of an interesting um perspective to think about it and, and something that i think so many people who are hiring aren't necessarily thinking about is is it's often, where does this person fit on my team? Not what client do I have that I know I can place them on right away? Um, plus, is that going to change? Right? Is that client going right, to drastically change right, their needs, right. and what they want um, within the next couple of months? That's really interesting. 
Um, and what's what's really amazing is is you just said something that kind of like triggered me a little bit. It was like ah, um, is that uh, I'm I'm guilty of having participated in the process of culture fit, hmm. right? And so one of the things that you said was like, well, will they fit on my team? Da da da. And that to me sort of went ah, culture fit. Unfortunately, um, and for the company that I was working with at the time, that will remain nameless. They, they they're in the process of fixing their ways. So so I I, I don't want to embarrass them. Um, that became code for they don't fit. Mm. They're not like us. Mm. And then if you looked at who we were, you know, in the locker room, metaphorically speaking, um, we all looked the same. Yeah. And and that became yeah. a real problem. And and they've been fixing it. Sorry, little little distraction there. No, it's great. I'll try I, to be a good interview. When I was um hired for, for my team when I when I was running a recruiting office, I used to think about culture ad rather than culture fit because it like you said, culture fit basically means you're just hiring someone like yourself over and over again. Maybe some slight variations on that, right? And as someone who, you know, I hired a, um, it was a former college wrestler and I wrestled in college. We'd both worked the same company in the past. And that was my first hire when I opened an office because it's what I knew and I knew what that person's, you know, work level was going to be, roughly what their life circumstance was. And it was a safe hire for me. But then pretty quickly I went, okay, I can't do that 10 more times or else that's all I'm ever going to be able to hire, right? It's not all I right, ever want. Right, right. And and how many collegiate wrestlers are there, right? Yeah, right. In the recruiting that, industry in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and I, I want you to know, uh, you just said something that I just wrote down. Oh, you can't see that uh, with my uh, culture ad versus culture fit. Um, I'm going to go meditate on that this, this next week. Thank you. Well, it's not mine. It came out of some some business book I've read at some point. but, but I've never it. heard it before, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can you share a little bit about your your role in the interview process now? And kind of, do you handle early stages? Do you handle technicals? Somewhere in between? A little bit of everything? Um, <clears throat> sorry about that. <clears throat> I'm in uh, the, I'm in the catbird seat. Um, uh, I get to by the time I see a resume, um, it's already been reviewed two or three times. Uh, some modicum of a background check to make sure that the the, the claims made on the uh, resume are at least factually true. You know, mm. did they work so and so? Did they live where and where? Did they graduate from institutions? <clears throat> um, and they might also come with a verbal referral that's been written down. And so I pretty much already know going into the interview that the person can do the job, mm. right? Um, there's a great scene in Joe versus the Joe versus the volcano, right? I know he can do the job, but can he get the job, right? Yeah. I'm in that, that place where um, I don't so much need to worry about whether or not the person's a qualified candidate. What I nearly need to focus on is, is the rest of the stuff that goes into making a, a yes or no hiring decision, um, which is a culmination of technical skills, client-facing skills, um, which can be communication. Um, and I'm really struggling to, to put this last one in a word, um, likable, right? Does the person, when you're talking to them, do they do you find yourself wanting to work with the person, hmm. right? Like your and my exchanges have been very limited, but very high energy and very engaging. And it's hmm. like, okay, Taylor, I think I would like to work with him. Hmm. Now I can focus on, can he do the job, right? To get to a, to a, a hiring decision. So um, nobody at LionCube gets hired onto an account without my having an interview with them. Um, and that, and it's a, a video conference, much like we're doing right here. Um, and I'm really just trying to get to that. Uh, well, this is how I think of it. It's kind of negative, but is there a cancer, right? So, um, what I mean by that is under the right circumstances, I am very, very short fused, like un under the exact right circumstances. I can go from being this big old teddy bear to the meanest, nastiest, foulest mouth, son of a gun you've ever met. Um, thankfully, that's usually behind the wheel of a car, um, <laughs> but not always. I mean, all joking aside, but not always. So part of what 
what I'm looking for in that process is, is really, is there a reason not to hire? Hmm. Um, that was long winded, but does that help? Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I like the term likable. I think it, the distinction to make too likable doesn't always necessarily mean agreeable, right? It means you're not going to insult the client, but you might not always say, yes, I agree. You're right. Right. It's, it's, it's different than just being a yes person. Um, and I think that's the thing that sometimes engineers, especially if maybe engineering mindset might not always be as like, you know, I think we both have theater backgrounds, right? There's a different, yeah. different, um, yeah. I don't know, level of like playfulness sometimes in conversations, but you can still be likable and be someone people enjoy working with without being like, um, I don't know. It's hard to pin down. Maybe you have a better way to the it. One of the things that I loved about working at Amazon is, is they have this cultural norm, cultural identity um, called disagree and commit. Mm. It's not, mm. it, right? So it's a, um, and the dynamics of that is really, really amazing. You can walk into a room and you could be the only person who's dissenting and you're given time and opportunity to express your voice, mm. right? And if you can make a compelling enough argument you can subvert or redirect an entire line of business or an entire line of inquiry. If you said your piece and you've not managed to successfully negotiate what you think is right, then the expectation is you will commit to making the decision as, as successful as it absolutely can be. Um, and you, you, can I, can I say a S S H O L E? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Right? <laughs> you, you can't be an asshole right now. You can, you can be, you can vigorously defend your point of view and you can get passionate and you get red face and you can slam the table. Right. Maybe you shouldn't, but, um, <laughs> but then when the decision's made, are you easy enough to work with to make it a, a, an ideal outcome? Yeah. Right. And that also includes just because you were right and outvoted doesn't give you the right to say, and I told you so. Yeah. 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 Right. And I told you so <laughs> is still being an unlikable, disagreeable muck. Right. Yeah. That was an M, folks. That was an M. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, the way I used to think about that or, or still try to think about that is strong opinions loosely held. Right. Like I, I may have this opinion, but if someone sways me the other way, great now i'm on board with with if you've made a compelling case i'm on board with that yeah. right and what i thought before you've shown me that that wasn't correct great let's move forward and and uh that is helpful for me as as someone who used to make a lot of decisions right i often still yeah. have an immediate strong opinion now i'm not in the position where i'm making a lot of these these um big business shifting opinions and it's much easier for me to go okay Great. Even if that's not what I think um, should be right, someone else has decided that, and I'm going to try to implement that as much as possible, right? And yeah, I'm not going to say I told you so. Maybe if it goes wrong in the back of my head, I know eh, maybe we should have done this, but I'm not going to say it out loud, right? <laughs> well, and what what Lion Cube does, right, is we walk into situations where people will say, um, you know, it 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 hurts every time I do this. Okay, um, stop doing that. No, but this is what our, this is, no, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll take any, anything under advisement, but we can't, this will never go away. Okay. Right now that that's a bit silly, right? Cause I can yeah, see yeah. you kind of smiling, right? But it's, oh, and for those people who are just listening, I was poking my, my cheek with my finger, um, which ha Dr. House has a great house. MD has a wonderful scene where the guy's just got a broken finger, but he's like too stoned or something to know it. <laughs> um, it's just absolutely outrageous scene. Um, it, but that that it, you sometimes end up really handicapped in the job situation, the work situation, where you can see the train wreck unfolding, mm. and you're still being asked to engineer that train wreck. And, and, I'm, and that's a pun, right? Because a lot of what we do is software engineering, but you're also an engineer is the one that drives the the train. Um, and you have to be likable while doing that especially yeah. in the consulting realm. Um, and uh, like I, I mentioned earlier, I'd, I'd made a regrettable uh, team join decision. 
absolutely smashingly brilliant technologist. I, I had zero fault with his work. But anytime they felt slighted mm. in, the, in the teeniest little bit, we would get all this sort of inner team chaos, which we were able to manage up until one incident where they went in front of the customer and said, you know, I'm not going to do such and such unless you give me X, Y, Z. And, um, you know, I, I had to talk to Chris, you know, who, who you've interviewed before. And I said, yeah, I just don't see this working out. Um, yeah. Uh, he, the credentials will no longer work come Monday morning. Um, I'm making a, a difficult executive decision. Mm. Um, and what's insane is, is insane about the situation is I'm fairly certain they hate me, which, which is unfortunate. Um, so for those of you who are listening and you're making hiring decisions, there's emotion. Love yeah. to tell you it's not there, but it's there. Um, but I also know that when he went to work for somebody else, they saw the time that he'd spent with me on their contract, on, on, on contracted with me. They called me up and said, what do you think about this guy? And I said, amazing, absolutely brilliant. Da, 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 da. Here's why it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. He was never wrong, right? It was just how he chose to, to manage that. And they went, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna fit in perfectly with us. We love that. I was like, great, go for yeah. it. You know, and so yeah. for him, bringing that that drama, that dynamic to a closed in-house system, it sounds, it, and, and by the way, I, I do follow up on on even the people that I, I'm like, oh, gotta let you go. Um, and he's doing great. I mean, he's, he's found a really great place. Uh, he's doing good work. Um, and, and so that's very exciting too. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and, and I think there's such, such tough decisions and it's difficult for people sometimes to see the other side of it, right? They think, oh, it's just a, the man firing someone right and it's like no there's some reasons and if you do it in the right way like you said you can still provide that person a good reference and and, and i was gonna say one man's trash another man's trash it's not the right way to think of it it there's different fits for different different personality types different skill sets right like oh you could be incredible for one company and and not good at all for another right and, and that could totally be dependent on it could be the exact same tech stack exact same everything right just the, yes. the culture's different right or the, the the type of person they want's different right no, you're absolutely right. Uh, the book that I couldn't remember the title of earlier was Good to Great. Um, Good to Great, yeah. And, and I love that book. There's so much greatness in it. Um, but they talk about getting people on the bus and then making sure you find the right seat. Hmm. Um, if we'd had more contracts to choose from, uh, I would have endeavored to find him a good place yeah. um, within the contracts that we had at LimeCube. And, and unfortunately, that we didn't. Um, because you're you hit it you know we, we in today's world we don't want to fall into the trap of signaling culture fit as something nefarious mm. um yet it's a very real dynamic yeah you know if I, i've been in work situations where um you know i had the guy i had somebody i was it was a work situation where somebody said you know he goes john if you ever write a document with this many grammar mistakes in it, it was a, it was a first draft. In my defense, it was a first draft. He says, I will jump over the table and break your arms, <laughs> right? And to him, that was acceptable behavior, Yeah. right? Um, I made a decision to leave shortly after that. Sure. <laughs> because <laughs> that wasn't yeah. a good, that wasn't a good fit situation. But um you know, there are, uh, like I contracted for a social media company, um, that is in the newspapers a lot recently. That gives you at least two to choose from. So you have a 50, 50 shot. Um, and there at the, at, at the time, their willingness to make sure that, that their people were well taken care of um, like if I'd cough, just like I did in that, they'd be like, do you need to take the day off? Mm. Totally different culture. Um, you know, and, and, and of course I'm a contractor. I don't, if, I, if I'm not working, I don't get paid. So <laughs> it's like, you know, unless I'm missing an arm, I'm going to be working. Yeah. So my mic um, and keep working. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, yeah. so it, but so it's, yeah, it's such a balancing act. Right. Um, which yeah. is why I wrote down this whole thing, culture ad versus culture fit. Yeah. I, I'm 
you know, I'm thinking about that quote you said earlier, the the Joe versus Volcano quote. Like, I know you can do the job and get the job. Is there some element of interviewing uh, of when you're interviewing, not only to see if they can be a good fit for Lion Cube, but I'm assuming your clients have some type of sometimes they probably want to meet with people before they go to work for them. So are you ever thinking like, is this person going to do well in interviews with different clients as well? That's interesting. Um, I've been with Lion Cube through sort of two phases of its development. So very early on when we didn't have a, a reputation at all, um, we would find somebody and then it was like, yep, okay. And then now they got to go do the tech screen somewhere else. So that's where we came up with this pre-screening, pre-filtering process where we knew the person was capable. Then it was the things that the client's going to decide yes or no on and and then try to get feedback and, and learn. Yeah. Um, where we are now is that we have a good enough reputation that by the time they come to us and say, would you come work for us? We can pretty much take whatever team we want into that situation. Um, like just last week, I put together a bid for uh, what they called a Java pod. And uh, you know, we said it's going to cost this much. Um, let's assume we get the job. Then we will go and find a program lead, uh, two senior Java developers and two junior Java developers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe a product manager. Um, I'm, I'm ironically arguing that they don't need one. Um, but, so, but we'll see. The customer's always right. Um, I would spin your question this way a little bit though. Um, we're still on the hook for whether or not the, the person we choose to work with on our teams or that we effectively hire for the customer, um, whether or not they're going to represent well to the customer. So I don't think we ever really escape that reality. Um, what it does allow us to do though, is to put together and build teams that here's how's this for a headlines mind can you have uh egyptians israelis ukrainians and russians all working on the same team and be successful yes yes you can is it easy not every day (laughs) right i mean right i mean because culturally we have two groups that historically don't get along. And then we have two groups that are currently shooting at each other. Yeah. Right. And how do you work through the obvious baggage that people bring to the, to the, the dynamic. And it's, it, there's some days it's easy and some days it's not. Um, but it's, uh, where was I going with this? Um, those are the kinds of people that we want to try and attract is it that we can put them in difficult situations they're going to be able to work their way through the moment and know that they that that even if it's me or chris or one of our other uh principal executives that they can reach out and say i have a problem mm-hmm. right um was working a contract the everybody will remain nameless um and the person had signed a 52 page design document, right? So this is exactly what we're going to do and lost their mind when they came to us with a late breaking requirement on their part. And they said, but I told you about this back in, in February. We said, yes, you did. And we told you there's no way to do that. It's technically not possible today, but here's our plan to, to address it. The names that I got called in front of all my colleagues, you know, in this very open public forum, um, was hard, right? But I'm there. I, I have to represent, so to speak. We worked our way through it. Hang off. We took off. We hung off the call. I reached out to the contract holder because I was subcontracting for somebody. And I said, "Hey, you should know this happened. I can't speak for the rest of the team, but um, that's kind of your one. And if this yeah. ever happens again, I'm I'm out the door. Mm. And, um. I think where I was trying to go is that there are two cultures, right? There's the culture of the company you're working for, which yeah. in the consulting realm could be Lion Cube. And then there's the company that they're working for, which could be, um, oh, well, let's just pick on Amazon because uh, for out of convenience, I, I'm not currently doing any contract work for Amazon. Um, Amazon has its culture. Lion Cube has our culture. 
how do we make sure that, that we hire the right folks to, to manage both? And that's not yeah. easy. Um, and, and that's why I think sometimes uh, I'm a little more creative in the, the interviewing process. Uh, so any HR listeners, I, I know what the laws are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm obedient to them to the best of my ability. Um, you know, and and one of the things that we do is is uh, if I do if I do an interview with somebody, it is very common for it to have a one page summary of this was my experience interviewing the candidate and my recommendation. Um, and then it might be four or five pages of raw notes hmm. um, from the question I asked to the response to then my reflection on it. Yeah, I was going to ask. So I know we were talking a little bit before we started recording about um your your process and how what those interviews actually look like. Do you have a standardized system that you go through of like I ask the same questions every time, or is it change depending on the role and the the individual, or what's that look like? Um, and this is where uh, I think some HR groups are going to get a little nervous. So um, what I like to start with is um the elevator pitch. Hey, we just bumped into each other. You found out that I've got this great opportunity. What do I need? To, you know, what is what is the Taylor Dorset experience? Right? Mm -hmm. Convince me. Um, and I usually try to time box that. Right? You have thirty seconds. Go. After five minutes, I'm going to cut you off. Yeah. Um, and then um, you know, there's there's the obvious technical type questions. Um, uh, you're getting a 503, 504 error. What does that mean? Yeah. Okay. Given these technology bases, what could be the root cause? Hey, a connection is timing out in the middle. What could be the root cause, right? That's sort of the very transactional black and white. Show me that you have the technical smarts. Um, then uh, I'm going to get into, tell me about a time when, right? So tell me about a time when you, and by the way, I'm going to frame these questions as very confessional. Uh, tell me about that time that uh, you cost your employer um, three times more your salary um, in one mistake. Sure. Okay. And, and what did you learn from that? And how did they handle that? How did you communicate, right? And so then you get three, there end up being three very natural follow-up questions. Yeah. Um. And depending on how they realized they were, had a problem, I might come up on the fly with a, a different question. Um, but then I make sure I write it down in the, the uh, Google Doc. I use Google Docs. Um, it, it very word for word. And I read it back to the, to the interviewer. Um, because it's, it, all right. Uh, tell me about a time when uh, you save your client five times your annual salary. How did that go? You know, yeah. da -da. Um, what is, what is the one technical accomplishment you're the most proud of? Mm. What technologies did you use? Well, why did you choose those technologies? Right. Um, the, so the, so I can tell you that it's always, and I almost, almost, almost always start with elevator pitch. Right. Yep. Uh, and, and then there end up being several reasons that I do that. Um, and I'll try to remember to get back to those. Then there's the more transactional technical. Then there's that. Tell me about your career. What, what mistakes have you made? What wins yeah. have you gained? Um, because uh, Elon Musk, um, he said, I'm less interested in getting a regurgitated answer. I want to know how you think. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and I, and, no matter how we might feel about the individual these days. Um, I loved that, that kind of turnkey approach. Sure. Right. Yeah. Because in the consulting business that I'm in, we generally are looking for thought leaders, technologists who can come in and understand the business and then make a specific technological recommendation and understand why they're doing that. Um, so that whole tell me about a tell me about a solution that you created uh, that you're really really excited about. Out of that, I know that I'm going to ask follow up questions on implementation detail. Why they chose that implementation detail, what challenges they had to work through, and then what their measures of success were. Mm. And I'm going to tell you right now, almost everybody fails. Almost nobody passes that last question. Sure. Yeah. What were your measures of success? Yeah. Um. So. Yeah. 
that's really helpful and and i think an interesting way to to perform an interview that's not just the yeah i think a lot of people do one or the other of those right they they might give you the oh here's the dictionary like here's a couple like basically tell me show me that you know whatever my technical bar is like that you can pass that technical bar um or they do a, a more conversational thing i like the combination of the two and then having the branching questions from there the metrics of success is such an interesting one because a lot of times as engineers you're not necessarily thinking of of those things um especially folks who are earlier career but as a consultant it's incredibly important right you need to be able to say this is what we it, did it, right it's the difference <laughs> the between value success and failure yeah right i mean um we uh we are in the process of closing out a client that, you know, over the course of the, the contract, they spent, I want to say $2.2 .2 million with us. Yeah. Right. But they haven't met their financial increase, right? Like, mm -hmm. so they, so they were willing to invest the $2.25 million in us to help them make them more successful with the expectation they were going to see this, you know, 10 X, hundred X increase yeah. in sales economics turned against them, but that wasn't our, that wasn't out. That was just one of many metrics of success, yeah. right? It was more of a DevOps type thing. So it was uptime, uh, cost per minute, mean time to resolution for issues, you know, very uh, data centric economic speak mm -hmm. to, yeah, but you know, you went from having a grand total of 30 days of downtime last calendar year to this year, you've had seven minutes of unplanned downtime. Yeah. And we know that those 30 days cost you X number of dollars a day. Okay, it's not $2.25 million. But over the next five years, if you amortize that over the next five years with the new architecture that we've given yeah. you and how flexible it is, you will you will, you will will get a return on your investment. It's just going to take longer than you expected. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I have these conversations all the time with my, my manager and the director I, I work for currently about how I enjoy working on things that are that I know drive revenue because coming from a recruiting background, so much of my life was looking at a, you know, a PL yeah. and making sure our revenue numbers were where we wanted to be. And as an engineer, the first two jobs I had, it was very difficult to track. Am I actually making an impact on this? Sure. I, I shipped a feature, I shipped a product, right? But like, can I see yeah. how that's directly impacting the bottom line versus doing something that's a little bit more like revamping a sales funnel? You go, okay. Here's very clear metrics of we went from, these numbers to these numbers, right? It's like, great, we right, can have a, right. a number. Maybe I'm not the whole number, but take take it divided by the number of people on our team. Great, we've got something more measurable than you built one product last year. <laughs> right, um, so when I worked for uh, uh, Amazon, um, my last gig there was working on the build and release tools team. And um, I set the goal for the team that we would build a, a workflow that any computing, any, any programming language, any commit of any code size from commit to deployability, 15 minutes or less mm. with hundred percent. Right. I mean, it, it was a crazy, crazy goal. Um, and we knew that at that time, certain code changes would take uh, like 21 days to work their way through all the build trial, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Um, and somebody was like, well, how are you going to measure that success? And I said, well, we get a timestamp at the beginning. We get a timestamp at the end. And our first goal is going to be 64%. All right. What do we do? Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to speak very vaguely about it because I, I'm not sure that, you know, telling everybody secret sauce that I know is still in use today is yeah. good for business. Um, but what we were able to do was determine based on doing some static code analysis, how, how big the impact of a code would be. And then effective, effectively, we would go and build, rebuild all those pieces of code and retest them. Interesting. Right. And if they passed their tests, then we could deploy them to hardware and then run their integration tests. Right. So you have, you have unit tests and then you have silo tests and then you have integration tests. And if I can deploy your software and run your integration suite and your integration suite passes, would you like to ship this change? Right. Um, 
<clears throat> because at the time, uh, Amazon was really big on, and I have no idea about their culture today, but at the time they were really big on um, being able to deploy your code, run end-to-end -end tests on it that had a high percentage of probability that if they passed, you could deploy the code safely. Mm. And when we first started, it was, um, I, I think I think we were meeting our goal at like 10%. But then what that, but, but because we had defined a, a stupid goal, right? I mean, let me be honest, stupid goal. Um, but we, we decided that was our success statement. And then we realized this is probably the only real way to test it or, or to measure it. How do we get there? Yeah. Um, and I worked with an absolutely brilliant engineer out there uh, who's now a principal. Um, I think they've created even a new role, something like senior principal. Anyway, um, and they're almost there. Yeah, they're wow. almost there to where they could build any code commit on any system at any time, um, ready for deployment within 15 minutes or less. And they're almost there. Um, and, and I mean, there are a lot of moving pieces that I have no privy to. Um, but I think what I'm trying to get at is not how awesome I am. Cause you know, I'm pretty awesome, but uh, and folks, I said with a smile on my face, uh, <laughs> we should be thinking about even the low, lowest level engineer on the team should be thinking about how to measure their impact yeah. on the business because you've got annual reviews. Yeah. Right. All of employment it, at some level is adversarial. Right. Right. You know, into the arena, employer, employee. Yeah. Can you do the job? Yes, but can I get the job? I don't know yet, right? And everybody, yeah. I'm, I'm, I've got my thumbs and I'm telling a story as two interviewers there because um, I can't help my creative side. The it, It's adversarial and, and it really doesn't change even when you get into the, the, the annual review process. You yeah. really need to know how to sell your success, not just at, at the interview time, right? You're always interviewing. Yeah, totally. Right? Um, you're always proving you can do the job, you can do it well, you've earned more than your paycheck, sure. and you deserve a pay raise, right? Um, and, you know, I, I kind of cheated. I went and got two degrees in economics. So I'm always thinking about how to model the work and figure out how to dial it into, you know, money or, or something that can be measured. And, and then... I'm going to tell you that success story. Um, that crazy bodacious goal that right, I said about the, the build system, at one time we consumed 92% of all of S3. Now this is back in the early days. So there wasn't <laughs> as much S3 as there is today, folks. Sure, yeah. But <clears throat> because Amazon at the time went through, well, computers are free, awesome. And so everybody was throwing as much, and then they went, well, you know what? We're running out of uh, cloud space. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody, you have to start paying for your computers. Ah, right. And then everybody would economize. Um, S3 was free. Storage was free. Um, until they realized that, um, oh my God, uh, consumption is about 8 million times higher than we thought. Well, it was because of my team. Um, and <laughs> so, then, so then we ended up with a secondary measure of success was, how do we manage S3 mm -hmm. so that so that we're only using an appropriate portion of it? Mm. You know, so you make a statement, you, you set a goal, uh, you make criteria for success, um, and and then you implement a plan, and then you and then you need to know how to measure it. Yeah, right. Most people can actually tell you what the measures of success are. They didn't measure them. Yeah, just saying. Okay. Sorry, I, don't let me rabbit trail into the value of a DevOps perspective. No, I, I love well, that's it. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but it is so important, even from your, your first job, if you start thinking about that, even if it's as small as like making a, a hype doc or something like that, where you write down the, what you've done, like, like you can concretely say, I accomplished this in the last um, mm -hmm. you know, two months or since I've last updated my hype doc. At the end of the year, when you go into reviews, your manager may not hopefully you have a good manager who hopefully is writing all this stuff down, but you're going to remember way better than your manager does. Right. Especially if your manager has, you know, let's say they have 
six people, 15 people, 30 people um, reporting to them, and they want to do 50? 30 reviews, 50, yeah. right? Um, and uh, especially your director, right? Uh, above them, um, yeah, your, your VP, yeah. whoever it is. They, like, maybe they'll remember one thing you did. Maybe, hopefully, right? But but well, you, you never know. So if you can <clears> present, <throat> hey, here's what I've done, and I want to talk through this with you, rather than, so what? how do you think about what I did this year, right? And I think being proactive about that is so helpful. Yeah. And then people start to think of you as the person who's like, oh, you're you're – you're doing these things, you're accomplishing things, you're keeping track of these things too. So then you kind of get looked at in a different way. You know, like you, you said, do. you're always interviewing. So I think that, I don't know, it's such an important thing to have of of recognizing what you've done and at the very least tracking, these are my accomplishments, right? Like I think that's like a, a such a low effort thing that gives you a ton of returns, right? You don't and, have to have it, two economic degrees to, get to do it, right? No, no. Uh, I, w- I would advise against uh, spending money <laughs> in that endeavor. Uh, and not not that there's anything wrong with economics, folks. I, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, uh, never mind. Uh, almost rabbit trailed myself. <laughs> um, th- so let me tell you a true story. Uh, I had been hired at no small expense by a company and, and moved from one state to another. And it came time for annual reviews. And, um, you know, I did my normal thing, right? I pulled out my, my working doc, bop, 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 and I found the 20 people that I wanted to ask for 360 reviews, sent them out. Surprisingly, number of people came in to, you know, responded, which was kind of nice. So that whole likable thing, right? Um, we sat, I sat down with my manager, uh, who at the time was managing 52 people. Okay. And they said, you know, John, you're on my list of people to consider for termination because I didn't think you'd done anything all year. (laughs) And she goes, not only have you done a lot, you've been instrumental in the success of this organization. Oh, okay, great. So uh, not only are we going to keep you on for this next year, you're getting promoted. Oh, great. Okay. What am I getting promoted (laughs) to? Uh, Manager. What? Right. And so then overnight, I found myself going from being, uh, you know, engineer, software engineer two or whatever it was yeah. to uh, manager one. Right. Yeah. Um, which was like a trial period. Right. You had like nine months to prove yourself as, as a manager. or You'd be out the door. Yeah. Um, and w- w- you said the phrase good manager. I force everybody I work with that, that works for me. Do you have a doc? OK, 90 yeah. days. Show, show me what you've done. And because I, I want to set them up for success, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're saying you're always interviewing a sort of tongue in cheek. I don't think so. I, I, the more, the, the more it becomes a more sober perspective, the longer we're talking. Um, because I think it's always easy to say, oh, you're always selling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But as a consequence, if you're always selling, the other person is like, but do I buy from you? Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, yeah. Well, let's take a break here, and uh, we'll come back and and uh, wrap up. Sounds fantastic. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode, so be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com/slash/jaylordorsid or on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.